Content on this production is for entertainment and informational purposes only. It is not medical advice, nor is it intended to substitute medical treatment or diagnosis. Seek medical help if you believe that you are suffering from a mental illness or are a threat to yourself or others. By using any or all of the information provided, you do so at your own risk. Any application of the material is at the listener's discretion and is his or her sole responsibility. Everybody, Doc Brian here, and welcome to Doc Talks, where we talk about people's troubles, trials, tribulations, but even triumphs of life. We have with us here today Will Winner. Woo! Because you're a winner either way, right? That's correct. That's right. Will is a comedian, if yeah. I understand right. Yeah. Slash bartender. Slash bartender. So you're the funny bartender. That's correct. Okay. How do you keep your patrons entertained? Well, you gotta. It's ever. It's different for everybody. A lot of people are coming to the bar for therapy. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you gotta listen. Uh, sometimes you gotta talk sports. You gotta find the in to what everybody likes to talk about. I'm typically working at higher end establishments. Gotcha. So you usually talk about that person a lot. Their right. ego, whatever they're into, whatever they're. A lot of guys like to talk about working out. Mm-hmm. A lot of single ladies like to get love advice. You just kind of dispense therapy with no uh, training in it. Sure, so. sure. I'm sure you like just to hear life that. experience. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Just, just keep doing that, but uh, <laughs> send them my way when your expertise kind of runs out there. I try, uh, to. but I'm not going to have any advice about working out. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> Let me ask you this question: Is it true that people who drink like whiskey colored liquor? are sad and people that drink clear like tequila, vodka kind of stuff are more happy? I I can't I mean, I think that people that are bar regulars in uh-huh. general are not very happy people. <laughs> That's the one thing that I could tell you and I've driven business away from myself mm-hmm. where you have some regulars that come in and complain and complain and drink and drink yeah. and they don't really take advice. And then my only advice can be like, well, maybe having three martinis a night mm-hmm. and coming in here spending $50 and getting wasted every night isn't helping things. I'm not saying it's the root cause of the problem. Right, right. But uh, restaurant management really frowns upon that point of view. And I'm then sure. the regulars themselves really resent you and hate you because <laughs> nobody likes to be told they're drinking too much. Right. I have a friend who, when he drinks, if he drinks dark colored, he gets very angry when yeah. he gets inebriated. I hear that all the time. Uh, Whiskey, rum. Clear, clear stuff. He gets happy. He's the happy inebriate. I think that tequila, and you know, I don't know. You read all these articles and it'll say that it's garbage, that mm-hmm. this is all lies. But it does kind of boost my mood. Yeah. It's the one liquor that doesn't make me sleepy. Mm-hmm. And that I can kind of sip continuously throughout a wedding or something and really kind of hold my liquor and keep pace. Yeah. Because everybody needs the drunk at the wedding, right? Oh, that's yeah. that's me. That's part of it. Yeah. So let's talk about Will's early years here. Where were you Where were you born and raised? I was born in Columbus, Ohio. I'm sorry. <laughs> Go Bucks, man. Uh, raised in Columbus, Ohio. That was my formative years, and I went to college in Pennsylvania. 
and then I immediately moved here. So I've been here for 12 years. Okay. So growing up, did you have siblings? I did. I have two older sisters. Okay. Both parents in the home. That's correct. All right. So did you have the picturesque childhood of everything, kind of white picket fences, all of that kind of stuff? Or? I'd say it was pretty good. Um, my parents never fought in front of me. Mm-hmm. Ever. There was never a hint that they were going to get separated or divorced or anything like that. Mm -hmm. My oldest sister was very sick growing up throughout my life. So I think that had impacts on the dynamics in our family. But I can't really speak to how much or much that really affected me. I mean, I have some ideas about it, but... What kind of sickness did your your sister have? So when I was still a baby, she was five, my middle sister was three. We went on a trip where we were driving through Kentucky, and we stayed overnight. Everybody else was healthy. Something happened where she caught some sort of bug that gave her a super high fever, Mm. such a high fever that it shut down parts of her brain and she Mm. lost sight in her left eye. Oh, wow. It was a disease that affected her spinal pressure and her sight for, you know, she was dealing with it all the way through 25. She's doing very well right now. She's a public defender in Chicago. She's great. She has her own chapter in the New England Journal of Medicine because her disease is her own thing. Wow. And a lot of people made careers off of trying to figure out how to fix her. Right. You know, brain surgeries, different extended hospital stays. It was, you know, it was a lot for my parents to deal with. So how did how did that change the family dynamic at home having this issue? Or were you still kind of young enough that it kind of seemed normal once you really began to? I think it was very normalized for me. I think it was harder for my middle sister because she wasn't allowed it really pulled a lot of attention onto my oldest sister. I was still the baby, mm-hmm. so I got a lot of love. Right. I think for my middle sister, it was kind of hard, and I still kind of think this, that she's become the black sheep or the mean one mm-hmm. or whatever just because we had to be so nice to my older sister because she's going through so much. And that was never really an issue for me, but for her, it's like I felt bad for her. It was like middle child syndrome like compounded. Mm. to the nth degree and I kind of growing up didn't think too much about it and then as I got out of the house I was just like damn my you know my sister kind of got a raw deal there yeah did you in any way feel guilty for her not having the childhood that maybe she should have had if I did it was never a massive thought in my head I don't think I really struggled with it it was probably subconsciously there but Mm -hmm. I just kind of did my own thing So then you said you went to Pennsylvania to school. I did. What was your major? I did theater and English double major. So you were brave and did English. I did. All right. Uh, Did you complete school there? I did. Good for you. How did you use that theater English degree? I came here and the plan was to be a theater actor in New York City. Okay. I took classes And I'd done comedies and stuff in college, and I knew that I was funny, but every single acting class I took here, they were just like, you're funny, you're funny. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, so I'll do the funny stuff. I started taking classes at UCB and uh, uh, The Pit, all these improv places, and I also was like, well, stand-up allows me to kind of be in control of my own destiny, and it gives me a lot more stage time than I would in anything else. Like, that's the thing. I just like to perform. So I want to be on stage, you know, really took it by the horns. And I started an open mic that was very successful. 
and I was getting on good shows, <clears throat> and I really liked it. At some point, things started just falling out of place, and I started to realize how much harder it was going to be to make a career at this. Mm -hmm. So what was it like the first time that you walked to that open mic in front of everybody? What kind of feeling ran through you? Adrenaline. Okay. Some sort of like excitement, but also mixed with sheer terror, like both of them at once. I actually did really well mm -hmm. on my first mic sets, which is not common because I had a lot of material going in. I was just so raw and I had nothing to lose that I was very free and I really, really liked it. I like right. doing well. Right. But you know, the thing about comedy is you could crush two shows and then the same material on the third show, crickets. Right. So how do you differentiate between people laughing at your jokes or people laughing at you? I think that's been hard for me. I really don't mind people laughing at me. I think it's funny, but I like to be in control of it. Mm -hmm. So like that's kind of what I liked about acting and playing funny characters. Right. As I think that there's nothing more funny than being pathetic <laughs> and like stupid, petty, petty, <laughs> gross. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. But in my personal life, uh -huh. if somebody was to remark, you know, I had a, a stretch there where I was working too hard, drinking too much, and I was a real mess. If somebody pointed out, mm -hmm. you know, something gross about me or something that I wasn't doing right in my personal life, I would be so deeply offended. Because I was like, oh, man, I don't want to come off like that to this person. So when you would do your shows and you would have times that you kind of felt like you bombed, what kind of emotion went through you immediately stepping off the stage? I mean, it feels bad. I'm not one of those people. I am only happy if I really did my best. So... Even if I had a 75% set, I'm not really happy. A full bomb, it's just like, why am I doing this? Like, what's the point? So what is one show that you did that is really like, what was the point? Because grow, growing up, I sang. Uh -huh. And we would go to like the nursing home and sing. And you would have all of these vegetables <laughs> in their wheelchairs that they didn't know you were there. And I was like, what's the point? You know, there's, I'm not getting anything back here. Yeah. So, so what's, what's the point? I think my worst show ever was at this, it was a offshoot of the stand in Long Island city. It was called the standing room and it's a very skinny club. And I, I came up doing alt room shows. Mm -hmm. So these are places in Williamsburg, Bushwick, Brooklyn, very left, very zany, irreverent sense of humor, which is different from the club scene, which is you can use the same jokes, but you have to have a different mentality about it. And I not worked many, very many clubs. Mm -hmm. And this place, I got heckled within two minutes of going up. Instead of handling it in a funny way and just relaxing and having a conversation and trusting that I would be funny, right. I immediately thought I'm the least funny person of all time. Mm -hmm. Started screaming at her. And bombed for like a solid eight minutes, couldn't get any of my jokes off. And I had to go there and sit in shame as the host came up and was just like, wow, that was bad. And like the host actually said. Yeah. That's terrible. Well, he needs to recover the room. Yeah, so, but still, that's that's terrible. It sucks to hear, yeah. Yeah. But he wasn't wrong. Yeah. I mean, I, he, you know, hosting especially, you just got to be honest right. a lot of the time to how the audience is feeling. So what, what do you think you reacted to her 
the heckler. I shouldn't say her or him. Assume, but how? Why do you think you responded that way? Because I was putting so much pressure on myself to get the jokes off, and I'd never experienced. You know, club comedy is different because it is way more interactive with the audience, mm -hmm. and just the way it's presented. Right. It's way more conversational. It's much more of a back and forth. Mm -hmm. The type of comedy that I was doing was way more presentational. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, don't you know how to be in an audience? Right. Are, right. are you shitting me? Like, what's right. going on? Be still and be quiet. The lights are low. Yeah. Yeah. You paid to be here. Right. What are you doing? Right. And Sit there and get your money's worth. Please. Yeah. I hate when people can't follow rules mm -hmm. or like show respect. Because like, even if it's a bad show... I love watching bad comedy. I'm right. the greatest audience member you could ever have. <laughs> and it's not so me. So you would spirit. love all of my jokes. You <laughs> would just love all of my jokes. I, I would laugh all the day. <laughs> so what is the best heckle you ever received doing a show that just kind of sticks out in your mind? Best heckle? Well, to be honest, I don't really get heckled that much. People are very nice to me when I go on stage because I'm not trying to be some sort of divisive provocative personality right i did this bit where i would ask people and this was because i hate writing jokes but also because like i wanted to just be excited about stand-up mm -hmm. where i'd ask people um ask me any question i'll tell you the absolute truth mm -hmm. and you can ask me anything that's like hit me where you can <laughs> yeah. yeah but people you'd think that people would love it right i would yeah but how many people just sit there in quiet and didn't say a majority word. Majority of the time. Yeah. Wasn't a great thing for my stand-up, right. but I kept doing it. Mm -hmm. And he's like, you can ask me my social security number. You can ask me my credit score. I'll tell you anything. Yeah. And somebody, while my parents were visiting and in the audience, they asked me if I'd ever heard my parents having sex. Uh-huh. And that was like, damn, because I didn't really plan for that. And you're like, okay, this bit is leaving the lineup here. We're never asking these kind of things again. Well, no, it stayed in. It actually ended up being like the best part of the bit. Yeah. Um, Let me write that down so we can talk about that later. Yeah, it seems like a therapy-relevant question. Uh, so answer the question. Yeah, I, I saw it. Yeah, well, we, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> uh, that's probably the whole issue here. We, really... we, we could end the podcast now and just say, okay, this is Will's issue. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so we, we deal with these things and, and especially, uh, you know, kind of in the entertainment business with those that I've talked to, it, it's almost like when you have a good show that you ride – that euphoric feeling for as long as you possibly can. Yeah. Because you don't always know the time between the next show. Yeah. How do you deal with when you just bombed to get through to the next show? Well, I think that for my 20s, it was still a lot of just partying. Mm -hmm. And I think that I mean, the whole thing was about chasing the adrenaline. Mm -hmm. And it was also kind of buying into this bullshit, like I'm a comedian, artist, lifestyle. Did you ever feel like somebody's going to figure out that I'm really not as funny as I think that I All am? All the time. Yeah. And I would get confirmation of that. So people wanted me around, but they didn't want to book me as much as they wanted me to make. They wanted to make me a part of the show. Mm -hmm. because I'm so good to have in the room. Mm -hmm. 
So I started DJing this very successful show so that I could be a regular presence. But, you know, they would give me spots every once in a while. Those started becoming fewer and further between. I did well at each time that I got a spot, but I just wasn't, they didn't consider me a comic. So I felt marginalized by that. But I still really like DJing because I love the show. Right. And I thought that it was going to take off into some opportunity, but. So you were okay in a sense to not be the headliner, but just be a part. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think, though, a lot of people have difficulty with that. That's one of my biggest gripes with comedy is I don't, the things that I liked about acting or is that when it's good, it's a team. Right. You know, stand-up is great, but it is mercenary. You just meet, like, a lot of people that they just don't comport themselves the way that I would. I would. I've had a lot of people kind of go back on their word, just be kind of weaselly, and even beyond that, just give me an energy that I don't really trust. And right. I think that was another reason that was just, like, drink up so I was just yeah. like kind of get those icky repress feelings. those emotions yeah yeah so you mentioned that you know uh, sometimes there's there's a team feeling and other times there's not I did counseling with a couple one time and I was you know use the old adage well you know there is no I in team and this woman looked at me and she's like Doc Brian but there's an M and an E and that's all that matters and I was like <laughs> Never thought about that, but yeah, you got me there. You got me there. So uh, do you find that it's easier to work as a team than it is to just run your own stuff? I've been happy when I run my own stuff, but it has to be my way. Mm -hmm. so, like, you, so you have this clause that you make them sign that you have to have certain types of drinks and certain types of <laughs> wines and certain type of cheese and all of this kind of stuff, right? No, I mean, I and like— You won't do a show for less than $40,000. <laughs> I wish. non-negotiable. I don't think I have it in me. I don't have that big of an ego on that side. I like to have it—I want it to be a purely good time. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times I'm really good at helping people have a really nice time. Mm -hmm. I'm a good host. Mm -hmm. So like when I ran my open mic and stuff, it's I liked being at the fore of that. But I ran a big tent. Everybody can do what they want. And I'm just at the top, kind of the circus leader for this thing. And for the longest time, I was like, well, that's not enough. Uh, an open mic is small potatoes. So I better join up with these guys so that we can have a bigger group and if I could have done things over again, I think I would have had a little bit more trust in myself because every time I did something for myself, it ended up going pretty well. So do you regret that? A little bit, but I'm not sure if it would change much. Like you don't have a tattoo that says no regrets, right? No. Okay. Just I, make... I hate when people do that. <laughs> like on the real world, whenever they'll be like, I don't have any regrets. I'm like, yeah. you're crazy, dude. Right. Yeah, you're a habitual liar is what you are because we all have regrets. Yeah. Uh, so within comedy, within life, if there was one thing that you could just say, the worst thing that ever happened to me from birth till now is blank, what would that be? I've been very unlucky in love. I, I don't know why. I mean, <laughs> you're just a stunning gentleman sitting there, right? Thank you so much, sir. <laughs> And I think that it's not that those relationships happened to me. It's that I didn't take care of myself. So were you always the cause of the breakups? I was always the one dumped. Gotcha. Did that ever feel demasculating? Every time. Every time. 
Okay. And, and, and we're a, talking about how many relationships? Three. Okay. I mean, that's better than like 30. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'll take it. Okay. So let's just talk about your last relationship. How did you meet the person that you dated the last relationship? So not the one that I'm currently in? Right, right. Because okay. we're going to talk about how it ended. And this is uh, somebody that was at work. Uh, I didn't really... Bad idea. Yeah. Have too much interest, but I, initially it wasn't somebody that I picked out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I heard that she was very interested in me, mm-hmm. thought I would go on a date, went on a date, it's a good date, and then started to like each other and started hanging out on a consistent basis. Was it more that she was attracted to you and you was needing to be needed or was it that you really were having fun i think needing to be needed because like i remember early on she really liked this band and i don't care for this type of music but i bought us tickets to go Mm -hmm. and then it was just like one of these like hipster shows where like nobody even dances Mm -hmm. because nobody knows how to dance Mm -hmm. and the music isn't danceable too right and so you just sit in an auditorium of a theater and it was like I was like, man, this sucks. And she was like, yeah, it was kind of me presenting myself as a as a good guy, even though I hated that entire night. Do you think if you were giving somebody advice in a relationship that was having to do that, do you think that it would be acceptable for them to put up with that in order to make their partner happy? I'm not off the bat. I think in any relationship there's compromises and you should do things to make your partner happy. But if you sense big red flags that you don't have common interests or that there's going to be, like, problems with you communicating or whatever, yeah, I would tell them that that's a problem. Okay. Now you've gone to this concert, which, you know, could be, like, the London Philharmonic because you're sitting there having to, you know, just take all of this in. Where did you go from there? I mean, because typically when, especially in a relationship, if you're somewhere you don't want to be, it's obvious. Yeah. And so then it makes it not so enjoyable to the person who wants to be there. Yeah. So at that point in time, where did the relationship go? Was that kind of the beginning of the end or? No, it was, I mean, I think that I was responsible in the end for the downfall because I I don't know what I was doing. I was trying to present myself as somebody, I think, you know, after being demasculated so many times, I really wanted to be the man Mm -hmm. and I was happy to like pay for things and show her the way if she had to get up extra early for work I would wake up at 530 in the morning even though I had gotten off of work at one to walk her to the train just trying to be like extra like sweet and devoted and then but unauthentic yeah which never works no why do you think that you had the need to be needed. I mean, you had a good childhood. It sounds like you 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 know went went to college. You were successful in getting a degree. Why do you feel like you had the need to be needed? It's just some baseline low self esteem that's hard to get over. So you said low self esteem. What kind of things about you do you not like? I don't know. I just feel like I'm not. I've, you know, I just feel like it's never enough. I always feel like I can do more. I always feel like I can give people more. 
And it's not inauthentic me wanting to do these things. It's inauthentic because it's like it's unrealistic to continue doing them. Mm-hmm. I have no problem for a night not doing what I want to do. Sure. I actually, I one of my biggest things in the world is just like, shut the fuck up, dude. Just do something different for a night. Mm-hmm. Just give that part of yourself. So do you think, though, in not submitting to those things that you may not like that you are more comfortable staying in your own lane about things that you like? Because outside of that, then you're vulnerable to have to keep somebody happy that you're in a situation where you're not happy. Say that again. So, for instance, where you were at this concert that you didn't want to be. Yeah. Do you feel then insecure because you're trying to keep somebody happy in a space where you're not happy? Yes. Okay. It's That's like one of the toughest spots to be in. Okay. So would you say that you're insecure in general or just in those type of deals? In those types of deals, trying okay. to make people happy. So if I sit here, you're sitting on the couch. If I were to say to you, Will, I think that you're a terrible person. I think that you don't deserve any good things in life, so you can't even keep a relationship. Would there be any part of that you, you should say, Doc Ryan, you know what? You're right. Yeah. Okay. Why? You don't even know me. <laughs> I know me. I know me. Yeah, but you don't know me. So why do you value my opinion? Because I have a doc in front of my name and I'm well, behind a microphone it's... on a podcast? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I just put stock in other people's opinions. Okay. If I if I tell you you're the most handsome man that I've ever met and that I want to spend the rest of my life with you, are you going to value my opinion? No, because I don't believe that should be true. Okay. So you're going to believe what I say to be true even though you don't feel that way about yourself. Yeah. So you do then value my opinion if it's something that you absolutely say I'm not ever going to do. So in these cases, you are saying to to anybody, if it's possible that what you're saying is true, then you're probably right. Yeah. So if I said, you know, you don't have any hope in making it in comedy, you would accept that. Yeah. That's a horrible way to live. I know. That's just going to lead to major depression, substance abuse, failed relationships, I mean, just just a horrible way to live. And I can I can look at you in your eyes right now and see that you are not okay. Yeah. That you're you're not even in a place where you feel comfortable with yourself. Yeah. That you would probably agree that you're not healthy right now. I can't agree with that. Okay. So tell me why you don't agree with that. Because I'm healthier than I've ever been in a lot of. But arenas. does that make you healthy? I'm not as fat as I used to be. Does that make me not fat? And you can agree that I'm fat. That's okay. (laughs) No, I think like I will just say that coming out of where I was for the past 10 years going into quarantine Mm -hmm. in terms of developing a healthier mind state Mm -hmm. and doing things for myself, I'll I'll give you that. I still might be unhealthy. Mm -hmm. But, but you're a lot better than you were. Way better. So what kind of headspace were you in in the last 10 years? Go, 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 go. No plan. No regard for my own mental or physical health whatsoever. And being – a lot of this is working in a restaurant job I attribute to less than comedy. Mm-hmm. 
we're at like 10 hour shifts, irregular hours, hanging out with people that are not positive for my life, contribute nothing to it, Mm -hmm. abusing drugs and alcohol, and people going nowhere with nothing to look forward to Mm -hmm. and being surrounded by that energy and then stepping out of that energy to go do comedy, which is another society of a a group of broken people largely. Mm -hmm. And I'm not used to that. Mm -hmm. Having the opportunity to step out of that environment and really start thinking about where I want to be and what I want to do has been so positive. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I'm still working towards that. Right. And obviously circumstances being what they are with the world right now, trying to plan for your next career and stuff isn't that easy, but I chip away. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm sure that you've heard the old adage that the eyes are the window to the soul. Indeed. And I see hurt is what I see. What, I'll give you that. What, why, why is there hurt? What, what has hurt you? What has hurt you or who has hurt you? I think a lot of things. I mean. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when I say what or who has hurt you? The major breakup that I went through. Okay. Tell me about that. Well, that was the first time, first and only time that I've been to a therapist. Okay. Um, I dated this girl. First, first and last time or first and only? <laughs> first and only. Okay. Um, she's the only person I really think about when I think about where it really broke me. Mm-hmm. We dated for two years. Was that the longest relationship you've ever been in? Tied. Mm-hmm. Very quickly. Again, she had kind of pursued me and then I fell into it. Were you initially attracted to her, or was it, again, the need to be needed? Need to be needed. Mm. I was into her, Mm -hmm. but the constant pull, I just couldn't say no. But at the same time, was exhausting. Yes. Very. I mean, once I got a—when she dumped me, I lost my mind in a way that has never happened before. So you said that was the first and only time that you had been to therapy. What what happened that made you come to the realization that, hey, I need to get professional help here? I couldn't control my emotions. I couldn't sleep or eat. And I felt like I had thrown away these parts of my life and my self-esteem was in the trash because she kind of shit on my dreams the entire time, was trying to get me to quit comedy, trying to tell me that I wasn't funny enough, and I devoted all this energy to helping her career take off, and I felt like the biggest idiot in the world. And so I couldn't stop talking about it. I couldn't stop thinking about it. I had exhausted my friends and family to the point where they couldn't talk about it with me anymore, and my dad finally said, hey, man, I love you. I can't talk about this with you anymore. It's time that you go see a professional. And then we sat down and we went through a list of people and we picked one. Okay. So was how were you coping before you saw a therapist? Was there substance abuse, alcohol? Cocaine and alcohol. Okay. Cocaine really isn't always like the first go-to, so I'm going to have to assume that there was usage. Big time. Big time. Had there ever been a time in your life where you had gotten to legal trouble because of substance abuse? Okay. So was that like more than one occasion? Did you spend time in jail? I, so in college, I got arrested for a DUI. Okay. Spent a night in jail. 
sometime 25, 26, I got arrested for marijuana, spent a night in jail. Uh, 28, got arrested for uh, misdemeanor cocaine possession, spent a night in jail. So you never did any extended period of time in jail. Uh, what about like probation? For the last one, I had to do community service. Do you still love the girl that we just talked about that broke no, your heart? No, I don't think I ever loved her. I'm glad to hear you say that. I think she really abused me emotionally. And the way that she ended things was so beyond cruel that, but that's what I think about when I have like, um, when I think about pain, because when I, I thought that I was like really turning my life around when I met her and I thought that I was taking one for the team when I was making these sacrifices to help her out and that it was all going to come back and it didn't. And then when you found out that it wasn't reciprocal, it was over. Yeah. Once again, the most common question that a psychologist or a therapist can ask you, how did that make you feel? I uh, devastated. Did it somewhat give validation to all the things you were already thinking about yourself? Yeah. And so did you get to a point where you said, look, I'm not going to be who I think I'm going to be. I'm not going to be able to be successful. Yeah. Okay. Which then led to the depression due to the breakup, which then led to probably even suicidal thoughts at some point. Yes. So when you had suicidal thoughts, did you say, I could do this and it would be better because I wouldn't have to feel the pain? Or was it just something that was intrusive that you said, you know what, I could just do away with all this? It was like, I'm in so much mental pain and I can't stop thinking about it. The only thing I can imagine, it was like mental tinnitus. Mm -hmm. It's like, it won't stop. Mm -hmm. And it was so obnoxious to like, I want to think about something else. Mm -hmm. And I had attached kind of everything to this relationship that was dog shit. She was right about that, but it's like I still felt the way that I felt. So it made me feel really mad and sad at the same time where it's just like, am I an idiot to have want this relationship, which was bad to begin with mm -hmm. and always was bad. Right. Horrible for me. Devastating. In it and out of it. So you were still okay even though being in the relationship that you were being treated badly because you felt like she needed somebody to treat badly. And at least you had somebody she interested. Needed, she needed somebody. She she would make it seem like she really needed somebody. Mm -hmm. And there was always some five-alarm fire. And there's a lot of relationships in my life. This isn't just due to my love life where people who are didn't have it as good as I did. Mm -hmm come to me as like a source of something for them mm -hmm. and I've had to learn to prioritize my needs and tell them this is where my friendship ends this is what I'm willing to accept carry on do you have the ability to say the word no I really don't like to I have it but I don't really it's one of these concepts that I don't understand okay so you almost feel obligated when somebody asks you to do something because you, once again, need to be needed. Yes. And even if that request is absurd. I'll do it. What's the most absurd 
request that you've ever received that you followed through with? When I was in college, I was dating a girl who constantly, like, I mean, constantly needed to need me. And I drove, I had to go back. We, I hung out with my friends in Jersey, which was three hours away from my school. I had to go back to do a performance of a play on campus. And I was just going to stay there for the rest of the weekend. She was just like, no, I want to see you tonight. I miss you. I miss you. I miss you. I drove back three hours to Jersey after the play that night, <laughs> slept with her, and then drove back the next morning to go do the play. Feeling empty. Drained. Mm-hmm. Dead. Because you were exerting your energy for her need instead of taking care of your need of getting rest. Yeah, and the only argument that I'm going to say in favor of myself is that I think it's easy to say no. It's not like she's casually throwing it out there. It's like a plead, mm-hmm. tugging at the heartstring style plead. And I have that, I have a very close male friend in my life who he can make things seem so dire and so serious. I'm going to feel like a monster. Mm-hmm. And then over time, as I've gotten older, I've learned like you could just say no, not respond after you say no. Mm-hmm. And then in a couple of days, Things sort themselves out. And people won't admit that maybe they were being a little too much before, but at least they'll know that you have a boundary. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that you're aware of the comedian uh, Steve Harvey, because if you don't yes. know him, you lived under a rock your Family whole life. Feud. So Steve Harvey had this when he was more into stand-up. Uh, he had this bit where he talked about that he was – I think it was Columbus, Ohio, where he was raised. He said that any time that he received a phone call from Columbus, Ohio area code, he knew that it was somebody wanting something. Like he knew. And so the joke was is that he had his phone programmed so that when a Columbus, Ohio number came in, it automatically declined the call and the battery fell out of the phone. <laughs> and and what he's and his, you know, Steve has this unique way of being able to tell a joke, but then give you a certain type of moral to the story and validation. And what he said was when people call and you don't take their call because you know they need something, give it about two weeks and then call them back and say, hey, I see that I missed your call. He said nine times out of ten, they're going to say, well, yeah, I got done what I needed to get done and hang up the phone. Yeah, because they don't even want to connect with you at all. They just wanted something. They just wanted something. And so that when we have those kind of tests within those relationships, lack of a better word, screw them. Yeah. If they only want me for what I can give them, I don't need them. Yeah. Let me ask you, if I were to say that you were selfish— How would that make you feel? I would just say it's flat out untrue. Mm -hmm. So if you were selfish, though, would that be a bad thing? Yeah. Okay. We'll talk about that in a minute. All right. So this has been Doc Talks with Will Winter. Now stay tuned. Follow us over on to uh, Patreon. It's Patreon, right? I always say it wrong. <laughs> that, 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 okay. I think that's the Southern Patreon. Uh, Patreon. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to say Patron, but I know that's <laughs> that's not right. But follow us on over there as we go into Doc Talks DX, where we talk about possible diagnosis. 
of issues going on here in Will's life. Uh, before we do that, though, Will, tell us where we could find you. Uh, you can find me at will.the.winner on Instagram, and you can find my podcast, The Good, The Dad, and The Ugly, on the Be Frank Network. You can visit our Instagram at gooddadandugly_pod. And, of course, I'm Doc Brian. You can find me at the.brian.com and all of our podcasts here on Be Frank Network. And uh, we are so glad that you tuned in with us today and follow us now into Doc Talks DX and hear the interesting outcome that we have here for Will. Uh, thank you once again, Will, for being with us here on Doc Talks. And uh, hopefully, maybe you can get some clarity here. Oh, I here hope in a few so. Minutes. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Be kind.